This is Tailgate Till May, your place for year-round college sports talk. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I'm excited to be back for another episode. Today, we're going to be talking a little about college football's next dynasty, maybe, the Big Ten's new football format, football scheduling format, and some basketball transfer portal news. We also have a trivia game lined up for you. But first, let's say hello to my friends and co-hosts, Brian Kaufman and Ben Crowley. Brian, how are you? I'm doing great, man. I, I promise not to start every episode with a parenting update, but uh, about an hour ago for the first time in his young life, my son uh, took a shit in the bathtub. So things are real messy around here right now, but everything's good. I'm excited to be hanging out with you guys and be bounced back from that. And hopefully he uh, he stays asleep for us here. Wow. What a way to start the show. Since we're going to go yeah. real off the rails real early. Have I ever told you about like my worst day as a dog owner, not to compare having a human child and a dog, but I came home one day. Uh, we had a video, we have like a video camera that where we can see our dog and he was in his crate and he uh, had, there was a lot of Brown in his crate. He was pulling at his crate. He <laughs> was not having a good time. Sure. I took him out of his crate, took him immediately into the bathtub where he proceeded to, vomit and shit in the bathtub so i had a really similar experience to you terrible day didn't like it not fun ben i hope you're having a lot better day yeah i am it's just funny that both you guys are talking about kids and dogs and all my worst stories involving a day of brown is just with myself and adulthood as well so didn't have a day like that today so you know i'm having fun Quite a start to the show today. Not sure we've ever had a start quite like that one. So let's dive right into this thing and talk about some college sports. I'm really excited about today's episode because we're going to talk about a big picture topic. And I think this is something we're going to do really every week throughout the summer here until we start getting into our, our conference previews and uh, into, the, into the heart of the college ball season. And today, that big picture topic is going to be about dynasties because, boys, we are in the midst of a college ball dynasty right now, and that is the Georgia Bulldogs. Back-to-back championships for the dogs. They look unbeatable. They feel unbeatable. They're recruiting like a machine, and they're the betting favorites to win the title again this year, despite losing their starting quarterback. That's not something you see a whole lot. Georgia is an uh, out-and-out dynasty right now, but it's amazing. Things change quickly. You know, five years ago, I don't think you would have said Georgia is definitely is a you certainly wouldn't have said they're a dynasty. You would have said they're on the cusp of a title, but I don't know you would have said, "Oh yeah, in 5 years, your the Georgia Bulldogs are going to be an undisputed dynasty because they still had that reputation for for choking. They'd had some brutal losses in uh SEC Championship games and National Championship games, but here we are. They are the undisputed kings of college football. What I want to talk about today are the teams who over the next five years have the best chance to take that crown from Georgia and start a dynasty of their own. And I've grouped the teams into categories here. We're going to kind of go through each category and talk about which team from each category has the best chance and which team overall has the best chance. So my first grouping here, guys, is recent title-winning contenders. Because I think these are the schools that are most likely to, to jump back up and, you know, start or restart a dynasty of their own. And the teams I have in this category are Alabama, Ohio State, LSU, and Clemson. So Brian, I'm going to start with you. First off, is there a team missing from this category or do you think that this is these are the right teams for this category here? No, I think this is a complete list. I th I think that these are four teams that are perennial powers, recent champions like you said. So I I think this is the right group. I think you got it. Okay, so of this group, who who does have the best chance? Obviously, Alabama is maybe still, you could make the argument, in the midst of a dynasty, but I think I don't think you really can because Georgia has taken that crown from them. Which one of these teams has the best chance to, to knock off Georgia and start a dynasty of their own here? All right, so uh, I don't know if, if you guys will expect this one from me. I'm going with LSU. So they won 10 games, right, in Brian Kelly's first season. Um, and, and I'm not necessarily talking about last year, though. I, uh, this year, I should say, but I think they're being talked about like a potential playoff contender this year. They do return their entire starting offensive line. Their quarterback, like you said, having sort of this experience is, is good. 
one of the main reasons I'm picking them, and we're, again, we're talking about over the next five years, a team coming up is I think of the four teams that you mentioned, they do the best job combined with high school recruiting and the transfer portal. And I think they're going to continue to hit the transfer portal very well. They added Denver Harris from Texas A&M this year, Omar Spates from Morgan State, both solidifying what should be a, a very scary defense, kind of a, a classic LSU defense of sorts. Harold Perkins, Mason Smith is healthy. Um, but I, I think it's just a program that's built to create sustained excellence. Um, and I think we're going to we're gonna continue to see that. So I'm going with LSU. I, I do think they're a playoff contender this year, but I think that you can see some real consistency. Whereas with, with a team like Clemson, we haven't seen them dip into the portal. We haven't seen them quite recruiting at the level that they did when they were competing and winning national championships. So that's a bit scary. Ohio State doesn't leverage the portal coming in a ton. And obviously they do a phenomenal job with high school recruiting, um, though it it feels like in recent years that's been kind of wide receiver focused. I know they have a couple of five-star defensive linemen, but um, of course you can't rule out Alabama, but I like LSU here. I like LSU, Ben. What about you? It's interesting that you say, uh, so I did, I was trying to find these trivia questions for us today and I did a little deep dive on recruiting um, and also kind of to pony up into this. Clemson's actually been a little bit better of late where they've gotten, I just did this for five stars, but they've actually got 11 five stars over the last two years, which is ahead of Texas A&M. It's ahead of Georgia. It's ahead of Texas. It's ahead of Ohio State. So Dabble's done a little bit better in that regard. Obviously, there's a lot more to just a five-star uh, five recruit out of high school. Um, but overall, I just think it's funny to me that we're talking about this. Like, obviously, Georgia has won twice, but Alabama has still been right there and has the best recruiting class. So I'm just going to go with Alabama because I think that's the right answer. And I honestly think that Georgia winning probably just pisses Nick Saban off more. I mean, they had two very close games this year that took them out of the playoff. And I don't think anyone ever wants to see Alabama in a playoff game if they get there and have Nick Saban have that much time to prepare. So I'm just going to go with Alabama. It's the easy choice for me. Steven, what about you? Okay, Ben, I got to stop you here first. I I need a fact check on this Clemson stat. You said they have 11 five stars. I don't think that's right. Over the past two recruiting cycles. No. I don't, where are you looking? Where are you finding? Oh no, no, sorry, I did that backwards. So, all right, all right. So here's the thing: I did all of these backwards, except for Clemson. I realized that I had left out because they had sucked recently. So they have three. They had eleven during their height. There we go. Uh there we go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which so, is yeah, I went backwards. Exactly what I said. Very much what Brian was saying. <laughs> so okay, Clemson's cool, cool, cool. the only Same one page. I did backwards because I didn't include them at first because they were not recruiting like. Literally, everyone else had more five stars than them. They had one this year, which is 2023, and two last year. So I was like, oh, they're terrible. But then I noticed a couple of years back, they're like, oh, there's a five. There's an eight spot. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's on me. That's the only one I did reverse. There was a reason why I had that a lot lower on my ranking because it's separate from everything else. And it's because I did it backwards. So. All right. All right. But what? Catch, but who, who are you leaning towards? Did you answer the question? Yeah, it's Alabama by a mile, in my opinion. Like, yeah, you have to give credit to Brian Kelly. It's astounding what he can do to a program, even though I don't like him as a human being. But I cannot argue with him as far as what he did at Cincinnati, what he did with the dumpster fire that was Notre Dame at the time that he got there, and then what he's doing now at LSU, even to turn around from that loss that they got ridiculed for from Florida State, who ended up being, you know, pretty decent, um, but to go and then do what he did, so... You have to give them credit, but in this group, I think Alabama is far in a way the team that you is gonna be there every year. Here's probably the unanswerable question with Alabama is how much longer is Nick Saban gonna continue to be the head football coach there? Because I think if Saban is there and at the top of his game, I mean they they pulled in last year the best recruiting class in the history of the twenty four seven sports composite rankings. They topped the Texas A and M class from two years ago, so they are still recruiting at an absolutely elite level when it, it comes to that. But I don't know. Like you have to ask the question: How long is Saban going to be there? Because I think Nick Saban is unique. In the fact that, and Brian, I see you. I see you giving me that look, and I and it does looking at the uh, composite rankings right now. It looks like I I had a little bit of an error there. I I read that stat recently, so okay, I'm I'm wrong there on uh, 
their recruiting class rankings. However, they did pull in the number one class last year, um, regardless of how it compared all time. They had the number one class last year. So they're still recruiting at a at a very high level. Uh, they they have questions at quarterback this year, certainly, but I think that's detra- that's distracting a little bit from the fact that they are an elite builder of talent in uh, Bud Elliott year in year out does these blue chip rate uh, blue blue chip ratio where it's basically the percentage of your roster or the percentage of your last four recruiting classes that have been four and five stars Alabama was in the 90s they were the first team ever where 90 percent an over 90 percent of the their recruits over a four-year period were four or five stars. That's ridiculous. They are an elite talent acquisition operation. But the question is, will that continue when Nick Saban leaves? Because, guys, I mean, we're old enough to have gone through a time where Alabama was not that good. They were never the cream of the crop during our childhood until Nick Saban showed up, until he got to Tuscaloosa. And, you know, that wasn't until we were we were adults, till we were in college. For most of my childhood, I didn't understand why... Alabama, why college game day kept going to Alabama on a year in and year out basis. Like I didn't quite have the grasp of their history and Bear Bryant, everything at the time growing up in the Northeast. Um, I get it now, but we've seen Alabama be bad. They can be bad again. There, There's nothing guaranteed with that program once Nick Saban leaves. So for that reason, I don't think I can put Alabama. I do want to make the case for Clemson a little bit, although I don't, that's not the team that I am choosing here. I think Devo Swinney showed a ton this offseason by going out, stepping outside his comfort zone, and hiring Garrett Riley away from TCU. I don't think there is a bigger, better, splashier move in all of college football this offseason than... Uh, then Dabo going out and, and getting an outsider to modernize that offense. The whole problem with them the past two years has been their offense. They've had elite defensive talent, even when Clemson, it's interesting with Clemson when you talk about recruiting, because when they were winning national championships, they actually had quote unquote worse recruiting rankings than they did in the years following those national championship years. Their recruiting actually really stepped up a level. Uh, But the thing with Clemson is they've always had absolutely elite quarterbacks when they've won national titles. And I think we've just seen the past couple of years without an elite quarterback and a stale offense, they, they just aren't quite the same. Now, do you guys, Brian, do you have a thought? Like, have you seen enough from Cade Klubnick to know whether he can be a Trevor Lawrence or, or not? I don't think I've seen enough. I think the talent's there. I don't think you become the number one recruit quarterback-wise in the country unless the talent is there. And I think that's really, really important. So I think that's a good point because, you know, with Alabama, like, are we really talking about Tyler Buckner being the – like, who – I guess maybe Jalen Milroe will be the starting quarterback this year. But, like, there, there's real concerns there. So I, I feel better about Clemson's quarterback situation now and going forward than I – think I do about Alabama just because I've seen more from it. Um, but I, I mean, I think that's I think that's a fair point, Stephen. Yeah, so I, I think Clemson's there, and I haven't seen enough from him either to really make a definitive statement one way or another. I'm open to the possibility. Let's say that. I'm, I'm open to the possibility that he can be a Trevor Lawrence, that he could lead them to those heights again, especially with the guidance of of that new offense um, and, and a really talented offensive coordinator there in Garrett Riley. I had a really hard time with this one, Brian, and and I wanted to say LSU for all the reasons that you said LSU. I think the thing about LSU is basically every coach that goes there wins at least one national title. Can Brian Kelly be the one to go and win two before he decides to leave or he's run out of town a la Coach O? Um, I think he can. I think he can. I think he has shown over years and years and years. I don't need to rehash everything that you said. And Ben also said while saying he wasn't going to pick LSU, uh, <laughs> everything that Brian Kelly has done throughout his career, the track record speaks for for itself. Uh, and so I, I'm going to go with LSU for all the reasons that, that you, that you guys said, why not Ohio state Ben? Because there are maybe ha- there is probably not a, a program in this country that has been con- more consistent over a period of 60 years in Ohio state. Yeah. And um, I mean, this is just hard because if you had put Ohio state in the other categories, I would have picked them. It's just, if you remove Alabama from this group, 
Um, and that's who I just kept fixating on is Alabama, Alabama, Alabama. Uh, Ryan Day obviously has shown that he, you know, didn't really lose a step. Has still got a phenomenal offense. It recruits at a very high level. I mean, they're the fourth best recruiting for five stars over that period. Cause that's the only research I did today about five stars really honing in on that. Um, but I just think the fact that Michigan's back a little bit, you know, obviously they're your favorites. It's going to hold them back a little bit. Um, but I just, I don't know. I like Ryan day. I think there'll always be a good team. I don't know whether they're good enough to, and this is completely hearsay just on most on Ryan day's face that I don't really like him and trust him. Uh, but whether they can make the next step up to the playoff championship caliber, ben, I still need to be convinced. You sound, you know what you sound like right now. You sound yeah, like a every guy, jaded Ohio State yeah, fan. You, you sound like a guy who spends twenty three hours a day on Bucknuts or whatever Eleven Warriors or whatever other million of Ohio State blogs are out there who can't get past the fact that Ryan Day has lost two big games, essentially, in his career. He's put out Heisman Trophy winner after Heisman Trophy winner. They were a play away from winning a national championship last year, essentially. Um, you know, I, that game, I mean, that game to me, that was, the, that was the national championship game, and Ohio State went toe-to-toe with Georgia. There's nothing Look, about Ohio State's season last season that should make you question them long-term. No, not long-term at all. Like I said, I would... Probably, I'll put them ahead of LSU in my ranking, probably for the next couple of years, just because they're due. Um, just in a timeline, if you look at Ohio State wins every so often, but I just I want to see it from Ryan Day first before you know I jump the Alabamas of the world. But you've seen it with him as an offensive coordinator. You've seen it with yeah, him. To me, phenomenal. Brian and I talked about this a good bit after the college ball playoff last year. Like I was more encouraged by Ohio, by Ohio State after they lost to Georgia than I was after they lost to Michigan. That would have actually made me feel better as an Ohio State fan. Like it's painful, but it would still make me feel better about that program, what they can do, and then the trajectory of it than if the season had just ended after the Michigan game or they had gone to like an Orange Bowl for example. Yeah, I mean, I think honing on the fact that they lost to Michigan is overkill in that world of, oh my god, you just beat them for, what, eight straight years or something like that, and well, you lost two in a row, big whoop, someone has to lose that game. Um, but I still, I just, I want to see him win a, have they been to the national championship under him? No, no. right? Yeah, I want to see him get there. Get there, pal. And we'll talk. <laughs> okay. Speaking of Michigan, great way to transition to our next category. I want to give Steven a chance to be the first to answer this time around. The next category we've come up with is recent contenders who haven't gotten over the hump. Another four pack before we get to a, a little bit of a bigger group of teams later on. The four teams here, again, recent contenders who haven't gotten over the hump. Michigan, Notre Dame, Oregon, and Oklahoma. So, Stephen, we start with you. Where are you going with this one? Yeah, guys. And these were all teams who have made the college ball playoff. They've they've made the playoff in the college ball era. So that's kind of how I came up with this one. You know, they've been there, but they haven't they haven't quite gotten there. And to me, this group, as I looked at it more, was actually fairly easy. Michigan is is clearly the team that I think has the best chance to win a national title this upcoming season. But because of all the uncertainty with Harbaugh. Every year, it's an NFL conversation. Every single year. I don't think that they're going to develop into a dynasty. There's just too much uncertainty year over year there. So I think this is very clearly Notre Dame. Marcus Freeman did not get off to a great start on the field in year one, but he got off to a fantastic start recruiting. He has done everything right off the field. If you look at the 2024 recruiting rankings already, they already have 19 commitments uh, one five-star, 12 four-stars, and they are number three in 24-7 sports rankings. Uh, so a, a fantastic start. He's recruiting at a higher level than Brian Kelly ever did, and uh, that's what I love about them. And you look at what he did in the portal this offseason. They went out and they got Sam Hartman, a huge upgrade at quarterback, and that's one of the areas they needed to upgrade most. I think that Marcus Freeman has done everything right 
outside of win games last year. And, and they didn't have a terrible year last year. Yes, they had the embarrassing loss to Marshall, and that was hilarious and funny, and I loved watching that. We all actually watched that one together. Um, I bet on Marshall, and that was fantastic. But they rebounded, they won some games, and I just think everything that they are doing off the field is how you build a dynasty. Kirby Smart did not have a great first year at Georgia, but he built a monster through recruiting, and, and, and uh, Marcus Freeman seems to be on that trajectory. So, uh, Golden Domers for me here. I was asking my brother-in-law who went to Notre Dame, big Notre Dame fan. It's funny because he's like, Marcus Freeman is allegedly recruiting better and higher in talent than uh uh, Kelly did. I'm like, well, it's allegedly. It's, I mean, that's what the experts are saying. So yeah, he is. Um, the same thing. It's his first year as a head coach. It's only that. What last year was only his second year at Notre Dame. Um, so I think obviously with all the expectation that was put on him, with how excited. What remember when Kelly left? How excited all the Notre Dame like players were. So like, I feel like he had really high expectations coming in because all the players loved him. Um, clearly that transcends into recruiting too. So I a hundred percent agree with you that it is Notre Dame that, you know, maybe this is the time kind of like the, they've taken steps up with throughout the years with the coaches and Brian Kelly kind of elevated Notre Dame back to a decent school as far as football goes. And maybe Marcus Freeman's the one that take them to another level. Um, but yeah, same thing with Harbaugh. I'm with you there. And I just don't see, unfortunately, as much as, uh, I like the Pac-12. I just don't see an Oregon getting there. Um, I always think someone's going to, who's a good coach, like, you know, crystal ball, move on. So I just can't see them keeping a coach there long enough to get to that dynasty level. Brian, you big, you go ducks for you. Mix it up. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. I went with the the ducks on this one. Um, I, I, I think all the points are fair about Notre Dame. I, I really like what Dan Lanning and Oregon has been doing recruiting wise as well. Um, you know, 20, 2022, they were, I think like a fringe top 10 class, but they pulled into the top 10 class in 23. I think right now they're sixth in 24. They, you know, they got their QB of the future. They really are turning it into a national program. As far as recruiting goes, they're not pigeonholed to the West coast. Um, and I, I, I just really like what they've done. I like the atmosphere around the program. I've always kind of been fascinated with Oregon as just like ever since Chip Kelly was there, obviously, and they were uh, so much fun to watch. And it felt like to me, there wasn't any reason that would ha- that, that they shouldn't be able to be perennial contenders. I think that what you're saying is fair. Um, but Mario Cristobal would have left for very, very few jobs. Right. And, and he got one of them. So I, I like, it's a totally fair point, but he wasn't like itching to leave. And if he didn't leave, that thing was building big time. And now it seems like Dan Lanning, who comes from Kirby Smart's coaching tree, knows how to build a program as well. And he's sure he's young and up and coming. And I'm sure there's jobs he'd leave for too. Um, but I think that the PAC 12, kind of like you said, like, I think, who decides to jump up and become a perennial winner of the Pac-12 is up for grabs. And USC is what's sexy right now because people love Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams is great. Um, but I don't see any reason why consistently over the next five years and beyond that can't be Oregon as well. So I think you're all fair points on Notre Dame. I'm going to have a vote for Oregon. It's funny because Michigan now is right. Uh, two straight years of the playoff and, uh, one of the favorites, right, going into this year. Um, but I think it's, it's you're right. It's going to be hard to sustain. And you forget that not only before Har- Harbaugh, but during most of the Harbaugh tenure, there was talk about them wanting him out, not him. You know, it took him a minute to get there. Um, so, yeah, I'm going Oregon. I think I think this was a fun one, though, because I think there's there's arguments to be made across the board. So, Brian, I strongly considered Oregon. I didn't choose them because, in part, because – I loved what Cristobal built there. I felt like he was building an SEC-style program, and if he had stayed there, they would easily have been my pick. What I find so fascinating about Oregon is this is the question. They are kind of a microcosm of the question that I have been asking and wondering about with the 12-team playoff. Is there going to be a team out there and a program out there who is in a conference like the Pac-12, who steps up and says, yeah, we don't have the extra $30 million in TV revenue coming in or whatever, but we are 
going to become perennial playoff participants. We're going to go to a semifinal, a national championship game, and we're going to we're going to be able to recruit because we're going to say, hey, do you want to play in the playoff every year? Come here. Oregon is the one school I think can really take advantage of that because they can supplement all the other stuff with Nike money as long as Phil Knight is is around and and being such a huge benefactor to that school. Oregon's the one school that I think is really well positioned to do it. It's going to be an interesting take uh, test case with Dan Lanning because he, he doesn't have any ties particularly to Oregon. Uh, he's a guy who's coached in the SEC. He's kind of coached everywhere, but most recently in the SEC. And, you know, you hear a lot of people around the industry talk and it's like the SEC is getting to a point and the Big Ten to an extent too, where it's like, if you are an up and coming coach, you just want to go back to the SEC because you want to get paid the most. You want to go to the programs with the best resources and uh, you want to compete on the, on the biggest stage. That'll be a really big test case. Is it, if he continues on this trajectory, does Dan Lanning bolt? Because if he does, then I'm going to be more on Ben's side where it's like, I don't know what they can do to keep a coach other than get an Oregon grad who is extraordinarily loyal to Oregon, but I, I could see the other way happening, happening too. And I think it's going to tell us a lot about this new future of college football in a, in a 12 team playoff world. Maybe one day Marcus Marriott will go and coach them. <laughs> keep, I, I don't know anything about Marcus Mariota's coaching aspirations. Uh, I don't know either, but he seems like he'd be pretty good. He just might. He just might. Let's move on to our next category, and those are traditional powers on the rise. So one of these teams has made a college ball playoff. Uh, one one of these teams has won a uh, a championship, you know, fairly recently, not in the college ball playoff era, but in the last year of the BCS. Uh, that's Florida State. They start at the top of our list. Traditional powers on an upward trajectory. Trajectory. So we have here Florida State, USC, Miami. Tennessee, Penn State, and Texas. A bigger list here. Ben, who do you like best among these teams? Um, I mean, I've got to say USC, just because Lincoln Riley's got, you know, the history behind of building a program, and clearly they did what they did last year. Caleb Williams is coming back, and we've talked about that at length on this podcast. I just think you, of that list, they're the easiest ones to pick. Tennessee, string a couple years together. Miami, I feel like, is hyped every year, but still has kind of fallen flat after that one year with the t- the first year of the turnover chain. Texas is the classic, are they back? And then everyone hates Penn State. So I just feel like it's got to be USC. I mean, it's just the num- everything is there for them to challenge Oregon, be the perennial Pac-12 to your notion, recruit. Hey, yeah, but they're going granted, to the Big Ten. This is our last 10. year. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I was thinking one year. Well, this year they'll dominate, and then they'll go to the Big Ten. Um, I don't. I think it's just USC for me because they have you know what they have at their disposal. They have the history, and they've got the coach, and that's the biggest thing I feel like is dynasties. Obviously, you got to have the coach who can recruit, and Lincoln Riley can do that. Everyone else, you know, they've had good runs, but can they keep it? And who? What is Lincoln Riley ever going to leave USC for? I mean, he left NFL, Oklahoma to go NFL there, job. So. Yeah, but I feel like at this point, um, who does he really want to do that? I don't know. I mean, I feel like why leave when you got a good thing going? You're getting paid millions of dollars to go to a platform in the NFL where the leash is even shorter, and then you got to come back with your tail between your legs in college. Granted, it worked out for Nick Saban pretty well, but uh, yeah, it's a different story. Brian, you got someone different than USC? I know you're a big Caleb Williams fan, so... uh come with me yeah I, I think caleb williams is very good uh and i do have someone different than usc as my uh selection Classic. here um you guys are going with the non-obvious ones and i'm just picking off the obvious ones so yeah, i like it yeah excellent choice excellent choice listen guys um i gotta do it and i hate myself for it and I, there's no i i swore them off i swear them off every year um Welcome horns, guys. It's Texas. Uh, I'm. I'm. But they. They have never at any point stopped recruiting like they should win a national championship, and that is continuing under the new regime. I. 
I just you look at the guys that they're getting to play there, and not for nothing. I know all the perennial powers now. Like recruiting is way more national than it's ever been, and that's not going away. But there is so 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 much talent in Texas for them to get that you can field a team that should compete for a national championship solely with with Texas recruits. Um, I I just don't see a a world where they aren't going to become more competitive. Soon. It's it's kind of been a lot. I've bought into the, are they back? Are they not? I have, but like, we're not talking about Sam freaking Ellinger anymore, guys. Like that was cute. That was cute. It's not cute anymore. It's Quinn Ewers. It's Arch Manning. It's Anthony Hill. It's, it's, it's best players in the country all at the top of their list. I think it's got to come together Brian, at some point. Brian, Brian, I have three little letters for you. S E C. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it right there, man. I mean, like, I just don't see how you can see this program making that transition and in the next five years building a dynasty. I mean, look at look at Texas A and M's transition into the SEC. Yeah. You clearly forget about that Texas Alabama game to start the year where we're all watching together. Texas I'm not picking them to them. win a national championship this year. That's not what I said. Oh no, I'm talking about Steven when he's saying that they can't hang in the SEC and they just took, you know, the lead dog out to the shed for the first half. Not the lead dog. For the first half. Not not the lead dog. <laughs> By the way, the game. <laughs> not the lead. Dog. Well, I mean, they were consensus overall team number one in the country last year at that point. So, yes, they didn't win the national championship. Spoiler alert. But they were highly regarded as the best team in the country preseason. I just think yes. Texas is in for a rude awakening along the lines. They've recruited a lot better up front. But that is the difference between the SEC and everywhere else is talent, elite athleticism, and elite si- the combination of elite athleticism and size up front is just something you do not find in other conferences like you do in the SEC. And I think they're really, really going to struggle with that. You know, I would go as far as to say I would be I would rather bet on Texas to win a national title this year than I would in the next four years after this, because I, I think the step yeah, up is, is just going to be, I think it's going to be an adjustment for everybody. I, I really truly do. So quick. you're going outside the sec for yours. I am. Can I do my quick trivia question before, since we're on Texas, just as a reference point for you, gentlemen, Texas has 17 five-star recruits in the last five years. How many That's... do you think Georgia has? And how many do you think Alabama has? I think I would I would say um like how many years? I'm five years. Texas has seventeen. Oh and five years. The... So seventeen over five years? Yeah. Oh yeah. I think Georgia and Alabama six. They're six in the country in that regard over the last five years. Yeah, I think uh Georgia and Alabama over a five year period, I would say around mm, thirty thirty to thirty five. Okay, Brian, you got any answers? That sounds good. What is it? Yeah. So Alabama has 40. They're number one in the country with 45 stars. So that's average of 80 a year. And t- Georgia has 32. So Texas A&M is third in the country, and that's then at 21. So Alabama almost has double the amount of five stars. That just is why they insanely reload. And every year, like, oh, yeah, you lost so many people in the NFL? Great. We got more five stars. But, right, I mean, no, that's like, that's just something you have to deal with in this exercise, though. You know what I mean? Like, sure, they, Texas is going to have to play those teams more. I know. Like, yeah, this this exercise just, is not like, yeah, but Georgia and Alabama are probably just going to win them all. So <laughs> it kind of kills the fun of it, you know? <laughs> it's just wild to me that they're yeah. doing that. Yeah, every... that's fair. Okay, so I am going to fact check that one. Yeah, who you got? I am going to go outside the SEC. And I'm going to go with another team that had a really bad year in year one of a new coaching regime. And that's Miami. I'm choosing Miami as the team among this group most likely to build a dynasty. I think it's a similar situation to Oregon where they could potentially step up and be perennial contenders in the ACC. Obviously, they have to deal with Clemson and Florida State. There's a a little more competition there. But I love what Cristobal did at Oregon. I love the way he built them. I, I said it before. He built them SEC style. And I think he can do the same thing at Miami. The other thing that I love about Miami is they're at AD. Dan Radakovich was the AD at Clemson 
when Clemson was building their dynasty. And I think that's a really underrated, important thing in terms of getting everybody aligned organizationally to really support the football program, to support the football program like you need to when you're building a national championship caliber program. So those two things together, I'm trying to make sure I don't lose the forest through the trees here. And I see the potential of Miami when you have an administrator like Dan Radakovich, who knows how to get everybody aligned and be on the same page and contribute the way you need to, whether that's with NIL, with facilities, with just not having infighting and to support your football program. I think that's really important. And I love Cristobal's track record, no matter what happened in year one there. Uh, so give me the canes here, guys. Am I insane, Brian? No, I don't think you're insane at all. I really like the point about the AD buying in because that's exactly what happened, right? We remember like the drama when it was like, is he, is Cristobal going to go or not? And there was a lot of talk about what he wanted Miami to commit and what they were willing to commit and his his salary and facilities and assistant coach pool. Um, so I, I think that's a really good way to look at it. I think I think that's what you see in these programs that are that are being not just contenders once – once over, right? Perennial contenders, which is what this exercise is, that that kind of buy-in does feel like a prerequisite. So I think that's a great point. All right, let's move on to our last category, and we'll hit this one quickly. Going a little long here, but it's just too much damn fun talking about this. Uh, this category might be controversial. I didn't have a great label for them. I called them new upstarts, and I feel like they're all new upstarts for a variety of reasons. The first team on this list, TCU going to a national championship game in their first year under head coach Sonny Dykes. I think clearly a new upstart. Colorado, a terrible football program over the past 10 years or so. Deion Sanders comes in uh, with all the hype in the world, and there's an excitement around that program like you haven't seen in a long, long time since they were winning national titles in the 90s. And the last program on this list, I did not know where to put them. I felt like this was the only place, is Texas A&M. Because they've recruited at such a high level recently, but they have not got it done on the field. So maybe the name of this grouping is not quite right, but I think these three teams belong together where it's like two teams, one team in A&M with untapped potential, one team in Colorado with the potential for untapped potential, and then one team in TCU who has far overachieved uh, anything you ever could have expected. And maybe they have the ability to build a dynasty of their own. Ben, which one of these three teams do you think is most likely to build a dynasty in the next five years? This was the hardest one for me. Uh, took a lot of time. My heart wanted to say TCU just because I like them more so. And obviously they've had success in the past um, with the horn frog guy. I can't remember his name. I, Peterson. That's his name. Uh, he did pretty well for them. Um, and then, but like, I don't know how Texas A&M, Patterson, Gary Patterson, that's his name, not Peterson. The horn um, frog guy, the head coach. He looks like the a head horn. Coach he, of the he football looks program? like a horn. I thought, I thought he, we were looking for the mascot's name. <laughs> no, he he exemplifies what a horn frog looks like in my mind, just with the visor and everything and like the hair sticking out. Like he looks like a horn frog and he belonged there. Um Colorado it's, I think we talked about it like, yeah, he's got the hype. Deion Sanders, he can obviously recruit, but it's much easier to win when you've got, you know, the recruits he had in the league that he was in. So let's see that. Um, and I don't know what's going on, Jimbo Fisher, but I ultimately had to follow. My brain says it has to be Texas A&M. They recruit too well. At some point, they've got to get a quarterback that actually lives up to what they're doing. They've been so close for so long in the last 10 years that something's got to give. And and we know Jimbo Fisher, is a, he's a scholar of the football, and he knows how to coach. So you have to imagine at some point he's going to get them across the finish line. Any arguments there, or did I just sum it up completely? <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I listen, as – Pains me. I'm going with. I'm going with you. I'm going with A and M. Here's what I think. I think that of these three teams that we're mentioning, I think like the SEC is going to have like a nice handful of playoff teams every year once the playoff expands, and and then it's like like you said, they're recruiting like like they they are they have the most 
in my opinion, talented football players of these three. And I think we'll continue, we'll continue to do so. So I, you know, I, I hate to oversimplify and it's hard to, you know, I, I don't think we think all of a sudden TCU is going to be competing for national titles every year now. Um, Colorado is interesting, but yeah, I, I'm taking more of a wait and see approach there. So this is more of a process of elimination thing for me here. The lesser of the three evils, but give me the eggs. Yeah, I really wanted to make the case for TCU, but I just couldn't bring myself to it. It would be a similar case to Oregon, where it's like you may be able to go establish yourself as a year in, year out a participant in the comfortable playoff by winning the Big 12. But there's too much talent in the Big 12. There's so much parity there. I think it's going to be really hard for anybody to separate themselves. So, yeah, I, I'll have to go with A&M for the reasons that you all mentioned. Kind of a sad way See, to end it, honestly. Yeah, but here's the thing. If Max Duggan was like a sophomore and he did what he did, I would easily pick TCU and the Redhead to at least win a national championship in the next two years. Yeah, I think you fundamentally misunderstood the exercise, Ben. <laughs> I know, but like once you win a national championship, then you gain more power to create a dynasty. So it, it's building blocks. Fair enough. I, I think there is more success in history at TCU than a lot of people give them credit for. I mean, this is a place where uh, LaDainian Tomlinson came out of. This is a place that has gone through a bunch of conferences and shown a commitment to football, to the fact that they're now in the Big 12, and uh, I think Sonny Dykes is a perfect fit for them. I really wanted to pick them. Can't do it. Too much talent in a I think they'll, they'll at some point figure it out i don't think it really turns into a dynasty but if i had to pick one it would be them guys really quickly around the room of these teams who is your number one overall choice regardless of category which one of these teams we mentioned uh has the best opportunity to start a dynasty in the next five years ben i'm going to start with you and i'm going to tell you the teams you picked you had alabama notre dame usc and texas a&m which one are you choosing no explanation required Notre Dame. Brian, for you, you had LSU, uh, Oregon, Texas, and Texas A&M. I'm going to go with t- – no, I'm going with LSU. LSU. All right. And then for me, I had LSU, Notre Dame, Miami, and Texas A&M. I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to go with Notre Dame. I just love what Freeman's doing there. I'm not going to give any more explanation on that. I didn't let you guys give one. I'm not yeah, going to give one either. you weren't supposed to give any yeah, explanation. I wasn't, pal, but so I, uh, I took the power as the, the host of the show, and I, I gave myself a sentence here. All right, guys, ton of fun. Love that exercise. Let's uh, Maybe that's something we end up doing on a yearly basis here because I think it's fun to try to look ahead and see you know who is next because uh, as, as much as – things seem like they stay the same in college football there really is a lot of change and there's always somebody new stepping up so ton of fun love that exercise let's let's look to do it again next year uh, a couple quick topics here we'll touch on and then we'll get to our trivia challenge uh we'll make make this fast so the big 10 finally came out with their new ske- football scheduling format they announced the 2024 and 2025 schedule and uh the way this basically works is it's it's flex scheduling. Uh, there is they call it. Oh man, what I, I'm going to get the wording wrong. I think it's called uh, flex protect plus scheduling model, and basically nailed it. Every team has some well. Every team except Penn State has some permanent opponents that they will play on a year-in and year-out basis. Um, But not everybody has the same number. Iowa has three permanent opponents they play on a year-in and year-out basis. Maryland has one. Michigan has two. Uh, Guys, I felt like this was a really unique solution to a complicated problem. I felt like what the Big Ten did really well here is they were honest. They said, what we're going to do is we're going to try to protect some games that are really important to our history, and then we're going to maximize this thing to get great TV matchups. Uh, because, and they were honest about it, because that is what this world is all about. It, it, there was no point of trying to pretend like this was, we're going to make a schedule that's fair and equal and determines the best, the, the truest champion. Because you know what, guys? That doesn't exist. It can't exist in a league with 16 teams where you play nine conference games. So I really like what they did here, protecting some of the history, uh, but also ensuring that you are actually rotating through all the teams in the conference and getting a chance to play everybody. I think that helps, makes it feel a little bit more of a true conference. Brian, what'd you think? 
Yeah, I'm with you on that last part too, right? You you play every team in the league in a two-year span. I think that that's good and fun. And um, I, I thought it was kind of cool. You know, the, the, the COO of the Big Ten came out and I don't need to read the whole quote, but he basically said like, we just asked the schools to tell us which games you want protected or played more frequently, I guess is, is what it truly is. They didn't like – they didn't specify much more than that, right? What games do you care about? And, and you know, Iowa cares about more than most and Penn State cares or at least mutually cares about less than others. I do think it'd be really interesting if like each school had to submit to like guess what schools like did did Rutgers say like, no, we want to play Penn State? And Penn State was like, just shut up. Like, what are you talking about? Uh, That's the kind of it, content it, it, it we took... need on conference networks. That should have been yeah. a live event on the Big Ten Network. Yeah. You're telling me you went to watch that? I absolutely, I would have. But yeah, no, I think generally it's it's a win. It, it provides flexibility. It, it sets them up for success in the 12-team playoff, I think, and... Yeah, I'm a fan. That's the other big thing is it does set them up for success so well in the 12-team playoff era because they can manipulate this schedule however they want, right? If they know that there's two teams that are really at the top of the league, and I don't know exactly how what, what the optimal way is, but let's say strength of schedule becomes really important and Ohio State and USC are both going to be top five teams, you can have them, you can make sure they play that year. Right. You can uh, they're doing it kind of like two years out at a time. You have a pretty good idea over the next two years who's going to be good, uh, who's going to be national championship contenders. Or maybe it, it, what we find in this 12 team playoff is that just raw wins are most important and, and screw strength of schedule. You wouldn't have them play. Uh, it doesn't satisfy the TV partners very well. I, I, I so, but whatever. It, it it just gives the Big Ten flexibility, which I, I think is really huge. Ben, anything to add on your end? perfect like it's perfection like this is everything i want maryland you know it's a little selfish but they're out of the slaughterhouse that is the east of the big 10 so hopefully you know there's not just three straight losses that we have to chalk up every year and we get to play records every year so it's almost like a easy w um but ultimately people want to see good games and good tv and the whole idea is to set your conference up as best as you can for the playoffs. so they have control. They have power. Everyone wins. You guys nailed it. Congratulations. I could have just set this one out. All right. Let's move on to some some actual news here. I guess that was kind of news. But basketball transfer portal news. Arthur Kaluma, uh, Creighton wing or former Creighton wing, announces that he is transferring to Kansas State. Guys, I'm not going to ask for a take here on this transfer. I think he's going to be a big impact player for them. Uh, what I'm going to ask you is I, I saw this news, and the first thought that came to my head was I don't know if there's a rivalry in college basketball right now that I'm more excited about than Kansas-Kansas State. I think what Jerome Tang is building at Kansas State uh, and obviously the established power that is Kansas, I think that's just a, such a fun collision. It's an in-state rivalry. I love a team trying to come up and, and overtake another team, especially an in-state rival. And, you know, Kansas will probably be the heavy favorite this year, but Kansas State had a fantastic season last year. They did beat them once. I love watching that game. And uh, I think that's the rivalry I'm actually most excited for in all of college basketball right now. Brian, is that insane? No, it's not, especially if Tang keeps hitting the transfer portal like he has been because he's going to keep them competitive every year. And obviously he had to build a roster on short notice getting hired last offseason. But then he adds Kaluma. He adds Perry from North Texas this year. He's he's reloading. He's plugging the holes that they have. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I think this program is fully here to stay. And if they're in if they're any semblance of fully here to stay, it's automatically going to be one of the best rivalries uh, that there is in college basketball. So I, I'm so pumped. The only thing I'll say about this is, do we think that Tang is the reason why Baylor was actually good when they were good? I do. No. Okay. I, I don't think it's uh, as like, crazy. Like, that was a little too simple, but I think it's fair to say he was probably the continuity on that coaching staff. Like you hear uh, Scott Drew talk about that, that staff. You hear Jerome Tang talk about his time there. And it did seem like a uniquely close knit staff. And there was a lot of continuity 
continuity. And Brian, obviously you can speak to it far better than, than I can, having actually covered them and been around them. But I don't think it's nuts to say there was something unique about that staff. And anytime you have an assistant coach turnover, you know, it, it can um, expose some holes potentially. No, I don't think that's crazy to say at all. I think it's crazy to say he was <laughs> responsible for them being good. But uh, yes, well, very eloquent, Stephen. And uh, you took what your friend tried to say and you made it more digestible. And uh, I agree on that front. Yes. I don't take back my words, but... <laughs> was he responsible for them being good? <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, sure. sure. Uh, very good. Very good. Okay, other basketball transfer news here. Rutgers point guard Paul Mokehi is in the portal as a grad transfer. So a lot, a little late breaking news here because it's past the transfer portal window. But because he's a grad transfer, he can jump in that portal essentially at any time. And uh, he took advantage of it. The thing that stands out to me about this, guys, is the, the names that you see are interested in Paul Mokehi. Very good player. But... I don't think if he enters the transfer portal during the regular window, he's getting interest from the likes of Kentucky, for example. Uh, you know, this is a this is a instance to me where it's like life's all about timing, and and Paul Mulcahy is making the most of his timing. Ben, any thoughts on this? Do you think that grad transfers should be able to just enter at any time? Do you think they're? I mean, what what do you think about this? I feel like in the old system that made sense, like who needs, you know, their grad transfer. But like now, I guess it's almost like you hold out as a grad transfer. And then when some of the bigger names miss out on who they want, they can just focus their attention on you. So, I mean, as someone who wants to be a graduate division one athlete, I know I'm all for it. You know, you put in your time, you know, you maybe get a little bit. I mean, at the end of the day, like if you're not, it's probably going to be more so the people who aren't studs. And this is just a guy who's, you know, looking to help be a piece of a good team. So, you know, let the guy have his you know, little, you know, shining moment per se is the only person out in the portal that can jump to a different team. That's a solid player. I'm all for it. Am I wrong, Brian? No, I don't think you're wrong. I, I think like, no, it's, it's great timing for him. I, I, I think like you'll see maybe more of this guys who, can suddenly be super coveted from places that it's just, I mean, we talked at length about last week about Kentucky just literally needs warm bodies at this point. Like, of course they're interested in him. They'd be interested in you too. Um, I, I think it is a case of good timing. I also like, listen, I'm not here to be a conspiracy theorist on our podcast, but like the timing's almost too good, right? Like if he wasn't going in the portal earlier, these teams miss on some guys they need to, take a look at who might be interested. And yeah, if you're Kentucky, you might be able to convince a guy to leave Rutgers, especially after his teammate just transferred to the defending national champions in camp Spencer. So yeah, I, I don't know. Just a thought. Yeah. I, I would be fine if just everybody was held to the same portal windows. Like it's, it's enough. It's June. Uh, I'm, I'm down with player movement. I'm down with the transfer portal. I'm down with these guys having more flexibility and options, but it's like at some point, let's, let's let these rosters get set. I am surprised that it's Paul Mulcahy, Mr. Jersey. Like if you watched Rutgers basketball, all you would hear about is how this guy is Mr. New Jersey. He's like the heart and soul of Rutgers. Uh, I was, I was surprised to see that but again it's all about life is all about timing and he sure took advantage of his timing he's a guy who was to my knowledge not ever all t all big 10 not even like third team um and he might find himself at kentucky so life is definitely about timing and we have time for one last thing here that's our first our inaugural trivia challenge and uh guys i don't know if i ever told you this but one of my dreams is to host a sports trivia game show so i'm gonna start here right here on tailgate till may and uh you know maybe this becomes what was that that thing hq trivia is that what it was called trivia H oh god like I that. HQ about trivia. That. that was a yeah. huge thing big thing big thing maybe uh this is the sports version starting off right here it's gonna start with just the three of us but my dream is to one day have people 
watching us live streaming this and participating in the trivia portion as well. Uh, I'll be the host of my very own sports trivia game show. Uh, The Schwab, always a a big hero of mine. If you guys remember Stump the Schwab from back in the day on on ESPN. So uh, that's that's a dream of mine. And we're going to we're going to chase that dream here. We're going to start tonight with Ben versus Brian. The winner will take me on in the championship round, and we'll do this every week. Really looking forward to it, guys. Uh, So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. The way this is going to work is I am going to give one person a question. If they get it, they get a point. If they miss it, the other person has the opportunity to answer that question. The first to two points wins or the first person uh the person with the most points when we run out of our three questions because otherwise we could be here for a long long time so we're gonna try to keep it quick for you uh i'm gonna i guess i should have done this random number generator a little bit earlier in the day but i'm gonna do this random number generator okay ben you have the first uh selection here you have the first question here and this is going to be all college football trivia tonight so the first trivia question of the night so last week we talked a lot about reigning heisman trophy winners reigning national players of the year in 2008 tim tebow returned to school as the reigning heisman trophy winner he didn't repeat as the heisman winner but what he did do is he led the gators to a 13 and 1 record and a national title they had one loss on that year Ben, who handed the Gators their lone defeat of the 2008 season? Ooh. Uh, This is a tough one. I'm going to say LSU. Incorrect. I need to get a a buzzer on this board. I'll have to add Mm. that for next week. Incorrect. Not LSU. Brian, it's to you. Who handed oh, the 2008 okay. Florida Gators their lone <sighs> defeat? I, okay, I think it's an SEC team. I'm trying to skip the dead air here, so I'm going to talk through myself here. I think it's an SEC team. I think it wouldn't be a particularly fun trivia question tonight if it was Alabama, who is the first team that popped in my head. So I'm going to move on from them. Um, okay, who would have beaten Florida? Mm, SEC, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Uh Tennessee, not Tennessee. Oh, okay. Um, 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 uh, Alabama. Incorrect. It was Ole Miss. It was Ole Miss. Um, it was Ole I Miss. believe the okay. coach at the time was Houston Nutt. Mm. Okay, wow. on, on to question number two, guys. Better luck uh, here. Brian, we're going to go to you. And I didn't explain the game well enough because, Brian, if you get this correct... Uh, you actually, whoever gets this correct will, will be the winner because oh. we only have three questions and I'm not going to go through our third question and have a tie. So whoever gets this question correct will be the winner. So this is a big one, Brian. Okay. Okay. With high expectations heading into the 2023 season, FSU will certainly be ranked in the top 10 and maybe even the top five to start the year. When was the last time Florida State started and finished the year in the top 10. I need to give you a year. Give me a year. A season. Yes, a season. Yeah. 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 Um, well, okay. This is what I hate. So I, I think I have, I, I have a guess, but I, I don't know the year. I, my guess is. Uh, Jameis. And so that would be. But did they start? No, they wouldn't have started in the top 10. They needed to smash Maryland by 70 points before they got uh, the re- that sort of recognition. Okay, let, let me go back then. Um, started and finished. Uh, what about like 2004? Ooh, that's, that's incorrect, Brian. Ben, to you. 1999. Ooh, you guys are way early here. It was actually, believe it or not, 2016. It was after the Jameis Winston era. Uh, Jimbo Fisher's second to last year as head coach. DeAndre Francois was the quarterback. Dalvin Cook was the Knowles' leading rusher. They started fourth, finished eighth, 
beat Michigan in the Orange Bowl. However, maybe the most memorable game from that season was Lamar Jackson absolutely throttling them. Um, that was one of their losses. Was it was, was a big loss to Lamar Jackson. Okay, guys, neither of you got your trivia question right. We're <laughs> off to a rocking start here in our inaugural <laughs> trivia challenge. So we are going to go to our third and final tiebreaker question. Guys, this is uh, going to be a question where it's going to be a number. You guys are both going to give me an answer. Whoever is closest will advance to the championship round. In the history of college football, or at least since 1956, which is how far college football reference goes back, how many 2,000-yard single-season rushing performances have there been? I'm going to give you a little context here. Uh, Chuba Hubbard is the most recent player to accomplish that feat. He did it in 2019. He had 2,094 yards. Actually, three other players did it that year as well, and those were unbelievably Navy quarterback Malcolm Perry. <laughs> oh, unreal. J.K. Dobbins and Jonathan Taylor. A lot of Big Ten love here. Uh, so those four guys did it in 2019, but uh, uh, Chuba Hubbard led the pack that year with 2,094 yards. How many other instances of 2000 yard rushing performances have there been since 1956 ben starting with you 37 okay brian 22 ben is our winner and will advance the championship round ben very close you said 37 there were 35 Wow. wow. So fantastic job here, Ben, advancing to the championship. Now I'm going to uh, hand things over to Brian here. He's going to take over the hosting reins, and Ben will take on yours truly uh, for the right to be the first ever tailgate till May week one trivia champion. Sorry, I have good questions go. I want to answer or ask. Well, you. you'll be you'll be able to give them. Save them. Well, we're playing this every week. All right. Um, so... I'm going to start with my non-number questions. Here we go. Uh, the Buckus Award, given each year to the best linebacker in the country. What school has the most individual winners? So if you've won the award three times, you count once towards this answer. How many individual winners? What school has the most? We will start with Ben, our Champ, this, our round champion. This is all time, I'm assuming? Yeah, it started in like the mid-80s. They started giving out this award. Uh, I'm going to guess Ohio State. That is incorrect. I'll go Penn State. That is incorrect. Can I have a second They're, guess that doesn't uh, count? Yes. Oklahoma. So Oklahoma has four wins, but only three winners. Alabama has four winners. Three of them in the last like decade, they've had some, you know, CJ Mosley, who else? Rolando McLean won it. They have like a lot. Uh, uh, Oklahoma was what I was thinking when I was looking it up. Um, Bosworth won the first two ever. Um, so, so what you're telling me they, is this linebacker you nickname for Penn State is just yeah. BS. Just literal BS. LeVar Arrington. Nobody else. Uh, I don't know that that's true. Probably Puzzle Esney or something, um, but not 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 as many as Oklahoma or Alabama. Okay, on to the second question, Stephen. To you first. The most pass attempts in a game. Most pass attempts was eighty three in one game. Who did it? And I put a hint, and I think that you would know that. We all know who this person is, is, is sort of a, a hint, right? I wouldn't ask if it was somebody you'd never heard of. Oh, God. I, okay, I'm going to talk through it even if it helps, Ben. I mean, it is a it is 100% a Texas Tech quarterback. It's just which Texas Tech quarterback it was. I think based on your, your hint, actually, I'm going to go with a post-Mike Leach quarterback. I think it's Patrick Mahomes. That is incorrect. Ben. That's going to be my guess. Oh, buddy. Um, hmm. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I'm just going to – I'm trying to think. I'm just going to be a weird guess. Uh, I'm going to say Cliff Kingsbury. Incorrect. Those were, those were good guesses, guys. The answer was actually Drew Brees. 
1998 in a game against Wisconsin. He threw 55 for 83, and his team actually only scored 24 points in a loss, uh, which all seems that is unreal. Like I was so locked in on it had to be air raid Mike Leach. Yeah, I'm At sure they. I, I know Mahomes had multiple games in the 70s, but yeah, 83 is the number. All right, so we'll go with the number. Tie break question here. In 1988, hear a lot of. Hey, I hear a lot like, of uh, keyboard typing from Ben there. Yeah, I'm trying uh, to see. Immediately said 1988. <laughs> I can hear that keyboard. We have a cheating, a cheating scandal. Day one. I'm looking up Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury. Sorry. All right. All right, and this is like generally sort of related to one of Steven's questions. So hopefully he doesn't know this. It's collusion. 1988 Heisman Trophy season, Barry Sanders. How many rush yards per game did he average? He played 12 games. Can I use my calculator? No. Manpower only. Can I guess? Go for it. You both are going to guess. Sorry, yeah, you go first. 212. 212. 193. It is with great sadness that I report <laughs> that Ben is our inaugural champion. Barry Sanders averaged 238.9 rush yards per game in his So how many total yards did he have that year? Because I thought it was around like 2,300. It must have been way more than that. I think it was more than that. I'll have to look. Uh, or I have bad sources. Let's see. Oh, this could be another scandal. Another scandal. I'm the only one who should be typed. Uh, yeah, 26, 28. Wow. Oh, and it was in 11 games. I apologize. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Jeez. What a year. What a performance. Yeah. And what a performance by Ben yeah. here. Uh, nobody ben. actually got a question right tonight. So very, very bad start by all three of us. But Ben yeah. was very good at guessing closest to the pin. So, Ben. <laughs> Can I... Use my. Maybe you guys will know my one of my questions. I think you will know this. I think one of you will know this. Okay, one Ready? bonus. Right, let's, we'll let's get, get a here. let's get one a question bonus question. Right. Yeah, let's get a question uh, right. January first, two thousand seven Fiesta Bowl. Who was the offensive MVP for that game? Ian, whatever the running back from Boise. Incorrect. Oh, it's uh. Oh my God, I can't believe I can't think of his name. It's uh, the quarterback who's now an offensive coordinator in the NFL. Is it Kellen Moore? No, Jared Zabransky. Why would? Because he was the quarterback who then proposed. No, why would you say that we will definitely know this? You just threw a random game from 20 years ago and asked yeah, us who the quarterback was. Yeah, but that was like a big game of your childhood. I thought you would remember that. It was such So Kellen Moore, Kellen Moore must have been at, he was after that. He I was guess. after. Okay. Okay. I don't, I don't really remember that name very well, if I'm being perfectly honest. I remember the Statue <laughs> of Liberty play, obviously. Did you know it, Ben, before yeah. you looked at it? You knew that offhand? I remember. I didn't remember his first name, but I remember his brand. Right, that's why you're the trivia champion, I guess. Well, yeah. congratulations to you, Ben. Uh, yeah, it does bring everybody great sadness. I don't think anybody saw this one coming, but Ben is our <laughs> no. champion. So, Ben, uh, do you have a category? The way we're going to do this, guys, every week is the champion from the previous week will establish a category that uh, the the challenger will compete uh, against him on that category once they get to the championship round. Ben, do you want to go ahead right now and declare what your category will be? Yes, sir. 2000s, so the decade 2000s, college men's basketball. All right. It's a broad category, a lot to work with there, but looking forward to it. And uh, we... Hey, it's narrower than this category we got this week. Okay, well, yeah. So all of college football, you're right. Fair enough, Ben, fair enough. That's why you're the champion. We all hail to the champion, hail to the victors, hail to Ben Crowley. Guys, it was a blast as always. Love doing it. Uh, Love talking college football, college basketball, and doing a little trivia. Fun way to end the show. I will talk to you guys next week. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold.